Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. O Lord, we do bow before you. We come before you by your grace alone, through the Lord Jesus alone, to hear your word now and to submit to it. And we ask that your spirit would prepare us to listen and obey and rejoice and give thanks, for we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Last week we saw that David appealed to the creator of all to continue to create in him a clean heart. So David is praying that the Lord would continue the work of cleansing his heart, cleaning up his heart, if you will. And in many ways in this psalm, David shows that he knows he deserves correction. He knows he deserves discipline. And he rightly fears the judge of all. And he said to the Lord in verse 4, You are just when you speak and blameless when you judge. The Lord is always blameless when he judges. And yet David also knows by previous experience, by the grace of God, the great mercy of his loving Heavenly Father. So he continues to pray here that the presence of the Lord, the close communion with the Lord, uh, which he had often enjoyed, uh, would be restored soon. And it's a trying time for David, yet also a time to draw near to God in a, in a new and a deeper way, and again realize God's great mercy to him. And so he cries out, do not cast me away from your presence. Do not cast me away, throw me out from your presence. David knows how weak he is. He knows how dark things can get, how much less joy there is in this state that he's in when you are not communing with the Lord, when the Lord seems distant. Charles Spurgeon kind of rewrote this in his own words, and I noticed that uh, as I'm going through Valley of Vision, uh, there are a number that kind of sound like this or in a similar manner, and he wrote, essentially this is what he felt David was praying also, banish me not like Cain from your face and your favor. I deserve to be forever denied admission to your courts, but oh, good Lord, permit me still the privilege which is dear as life itself to me. Keep up the union between us, which is my only hope of salvation. It is a great wonder that so pure a spirit deigns to stay in so base a heart as mine, but then, Lord, it's all a wonder. Therefore, do this. For your mercy's sake, I earnestly entreat you. That was the cry of his heart. It's the way we should pray, I believe, as we confess, as he did. David did not want to continue to miss the joy that he had experienced, the liberty of access that he had come to rejoice in. And so then he says, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. 
He knew that he had grieved the Holy Spirit and he would be completely undone and lost without the Spirit of God. Last month we read this together. This is from the Canons of Dort, section 5. God, who is rich in mercy, according to his unchangeable purpose of election, does not wholly withdraw the Holy Spirit from his own people. Even in their melancholy falls, which means as low as you think you are, nor suffers them to proceed so far as to lose the grace of adoption and forfeit the state of justification or to commit the sin unto death. Praise God. Nor does he permit them to be totally deserted and to plunge themselves into everlasting destruction. Praise the Lord for his grace and his forgiveness and the assurance that his people can have in their eternal state. I'd like to read also from the Westminster Confession. This is from chapter 17. Some similarities with the canons of Dort. They whom God has accepted in his beloved. We are accepted in the Lord Jesus Christ. So they whom God has accepted, effectually called and sanctified by his spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. Nevertheless, and this is a part I'd like to focus on, nevertheless, they may, through the temptations of Satan and of the world, the prevalency of corruption remaining in them, and the neglect of the means of their preservation, fall into grievous sin. That's where David's at. And, for a time, continue therein, whereby they incur God's displeasure. There's a list here now. They incur God's displeasure, and grieve his Holy Spirit, come to be deprived of some measure of their graces and comforts, have their hearts hardened and their consciences wounded, hurt and scandalize others around them, and bring temporal judgments upon themselves. So this is the state David was in. But he, he was, so let's go through a little bit of that list. He was tempted. He's on the roof. He saw Bathsheba. He sinned. He likely had been neglecting the means of his preservation, the means of grace that God gives. His word, maybe he wasn't in the word at that point. He wasn't in the word at that point, obviously. His fellowship with the Lord and with his people. Was he, was he doing that? Was he praying? And then he fell into grievous sin. And for a time, continued in sin until Nathan exhorted him, essentially caught him, confronted him. He incurred God's displeasure, and he knew it. He grieved the Holy Spirit, and he knew it. He was deprived of some measure of grace and comfort. You can see the pain in in the prayer he's written here. His conscience was wounded. He hurt and scandalized other people around him, and he brought temporal judgment upon himself. But now, David is leaving this state. He longed to leave it, as he confesses and he repents and he cries out, as we can do, for forgiveness and for a renewal of the joyful fellowship with the Lord that he desperately wanted and needed. So be comforted, brothers and sisters, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. 
And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. So when we come to this table, to the table of the Lord, we may feel distant sometimes. Yet, the table of the Lord is a place of communion that the Lord has established. He's commanded us to come to a place of communion and of union with the Lord, a means of grace. It's a sacrament that he's given to restore us in our lagging relationships with him. And we are reminded here that he paid for us to be able to enjoy this with him so we might draw near to him and we might seek his face. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we are humbled again that we can come before you in all your holiness and commune with you and seek your face. O Lord, may we flee from sin and flee to you. And may we be convicted if we are neglecting the means of preservation and of grace that you have so mercifully given to us as your people. So we will not incur your displeasure or grieve your Holy Spirit. Abba, Father, restore us now. Strengthen us now to continue to rejoice in you and to serve you. For we ask this on the merits of the Lord Jesus alone. And we pray in his name. Amen.